Welcome to Clearly Quaker, an ongoing series of podcasts by Salem Quarterly Meeting, part of the Religious Society of Friends. Salem Quarterly Meeting is an association of seven Southern New Jersey Quaker meetings within Philadelphia Yearly Meeting. There are so many different forms of media these days, of course, and so in a way that's really great because we have we have more opportunities and options for communicating than, than ever before. That's the good news. The bad news is that each one of them has its own drawbacks. Each has its strengths, each has its quirks and idiosyncrasies, and each has its drawbacks. So if, if we think of the, the um, universe of options that, I, that, I was, that I'm interested in focusing on are things like as basic as a newsletter. Many meetings have a newsletter that someone produces maybe on a monthly basis. Um, the advantage of that is that it's pretty easy for anyone who has a computer or typewriter to produce. It, the disadvantages are that, of course, it can be a little bit costly to print and mail it if it is put in the mail. Um, they become out of date very quickly because if you, put a, if you have a calendar of upcoming events in it, and the next day after you publish it, something else has come up that might be of interest, it's, it's very quickly out of date. So newsletters can serve a purpose, but it's a limited one in the sense that they quickly become out of date and they can be a little bit costly. Um, if we think about um, a website, which many meetings either have or, or wish to have, um, the huge advantage there is that it, it can be updated in real time so that as soon as you find out additional information, that can be added. Um, it also has a broader reach. A website is visible to people who might just be surfing around on the net and not have ever been to your meeting, whereas a newsletter they're not going to get unless they've walked in the door probably. So the website has the advantage of being raising the visibility of your meeting to outsiders as well as keeping members and, and attenders informed. Um, disadvantages are that it requires a little bit of technical assist, technical knowledge um, to either build or even to maintain a website. And some meetings are going to struggle to do that. And I think one thing that we as a quarter or as a yearly meeting ought to think about, and maybe there are others who've done this, is how to make support available to meetings that need it to either create websites or get help with maintaining them or train members so that they can maintain them. Um, I've also, I think social media is really something that is sort of like a booster rocket for a website. So let me back up and say that a disadvantage with a website is that people have to make an affirmative decision to come to your website. So you could put a great deal of time and effort into building and maintaining a website and keeping it up to date on a weekly basis. And it doesn't necessarily mean that anyone is going to see it because it has to be someone who knows about the website, has maybe bookmarked the site, and makes a decision every so often to visit that site. Where social media enhances a website greatly is that it becomes almost like, think of it almost as micro-broadcasting. So if you have a Facebook page or a Twitter account for your meeting, 
let's say you've posted some information about an event on your website, and as I said, people may not have, people are not likely to have seen it. If, if, if you send out a tweet about the event, they, there's a very good chance that they'll see it, even if they haven't heard of your meeting. So here's, here's an example. If a meeting has a Twitter account, people might choose to follow it, and they will see every tweet that comes out that that, that, that meeting has posted on its Twitter account. But let's say you have an event about peacemaking, and there might be somebody who lives in your community and has never heard of your meeting. But if they're on Twitter and they're interested in the subject of peace, peacemaking or peace building, and you tweet out a message with hashtag peacemaking, we're having a great discussion about hashtag peacemaking, then somebody who's interested in peacemaking will see it because they're following that subject matter. So I think that social media is a really powerful tool for enhancing and expanding upon the content that you have on your website. It does not require a great deal of technological prowess to, to maintain either a Twitter or Facebook account. I'm not familiar with Instagram. I know that um, many, many younger, like teenage and college age people have a preference for Instagram over Facebook. That said, Facebook is still sort of the coin of the realm for communications in the digital era, I think. And I say that as somebody who's used both um, Facebook and Twitter at, at the law school where I work. It's a, it's a very, very important way for us to keep in touch with students and prospective students is Facebook. So um, what's nice about social media is it does not require as much technical skill as maintaining or building a website does. So if these things can be done in, in tandem, that's the ideal. Um, and, and of course, as you're probably aware, the other great advantage of social media is things can become viral. Um, at the law school where I work, for instance, we have about 17 or 1800 followers to our Facebook page. There are certain items that I've posted on our Facebook page that if some of our students or alumni see it and they share it, things have gotten 10, 12,000 views, even, I think even 16,000 views sometimes. So people who don't necessarily know about the law school are seeing it because they might be an old college friend of one of our students who shared a post that I might have put on the law school's Facebook page. So this is how things can really become, the ripples can widen and widen and widen. Yes? And you can use hashtags on Facebook? You can, you can. They're, they're more commonly and universally used on Twitter, but um, um, I, I think the advantage of Twitter is that um, people tend to follow subjects on Twitter. So if you had an environmental event or even if you had a speaker who has a large following, it might be somebody who's heard this person speak in Philadelphia. And if you include in your tweet their hand, that person's handle, then, it, then anybody who knows of that person and is an admirer of that person, they'll see, oh, this guy's speaking in Medford. Well, I want to get myself to Medford because that guy's on fire. So it, it becomes a very, very powerful way of reaching a broader audience. And, and the last thing I was going to talk a, a little bit about, um, and I know Carol is going to focus a lot on the news media, but just broadly to say, of course, 
it really, any media outlet, whether we're talking about print, whether we're talking about broadcast, um, whether we're talking about you know, e digital publications exclusively, they all have their own following. And so that becomes obviously a great way at, at no um, cost to reach a large, large number of people. However, the, the intricacies, there are intricacies for dealing with each and every outlet. So for instance, if you have an event, the Philadelphia Inquirer might want to cover it, but it's very hard to get through to an actual person. And so nowadays, what they have on their websites are um, forms that you can fill out online to let them know about either news tips or events that you might want them to publicize or cover. So you kind of have to do a little bit of research for each outlet that you might want to communicate with and know how to get through to them. The old-fashioned press release is not necessarily something that's going to move the needle very much in a lot of newsrooms today. So, so that's the upside and the downside of dealing with the media. You know, potentially you have you know, millions of people who might know about an event, but getting, getting their attention can be very challenging. Also, the media is going to be very fickle because even if it's an event that on one day might interest them, depending on what else is going on in the world, they may have to, they may have to reshuffle their plans for the day, their coverage plans. So you can almost never count on their coverage. There is kind of a, a distance between some Quakers who favor outreach and some who still do not believe in it because George Fox once said, let your lives speak, and that's where it sits. And as a former journalist, I don't buy that. And neither does Sidney Wilkinson from the Inquirer, Pulitzer Prize winner and a Quaker. And guess what? She's selling baskets good for hiding your light under. So, Okay. Sorry. <laughs> um, so we know that you have to be in the marketplace. Um, I'm kind of from a dinosaur of media these days, uh, of being knowledgeable about print media. But it's only, it's a much smaller piece of the picture for you than it ever had been. Um, so, beginning with whose job it is, what is missing up there? You are. You are missing. And I didn't make any of this stuff up. I, I learned this years ago from a very high, highly qualified uh, public relations man. The easiest people to reach are those that we love and who love us, who know about us, who've heard about us, and the broader Quaker community. But we are reaching all of them, aren't we? Hmm? Oh yeah. The folks in the middle hard to define, but we know them. They live around us, they work around us, we bump into them. They may think of Quakers as oatmeal, but maybe a little more, or they think we're all dead. And they are 10 times harder to reach 
than the people who love us already. Now, the general public, these are folks, groups, and organizations we may not have thought of. And we should be in that marketplace because those folks are 50 times harder to reach than the people who know about us. So let's start. You don't have to make notes about this. I have this as a handout. But I think there are principles in, in following print media that apply to every, everything. Get to know real people in the business. Calling on a Wednesday saying, would you cover our event on a Friday is never gonna work. And they'll write your name down and say, these people are not prepared. You need to know the reporters and not bother them because understand they are assigned by an editor, but you need to know them and they need to know you. Church news editors, columnists, feature writers, and so forth. And you need to know how their office works. Are there reporters? Do they deal only with freelancers? For example, the Burlington County Times is now so constricted that nobody works in the office. And and they're, you know, everything is email. So you can't call the Burlington County Times and ask for a story. And I'll get to this later. Learn how to write media alerts. So you're right, a press re release is, is tough. And, and with the new media, you need to write short, concise calendar blurbs, one blurbs, one paragraph. Learn how to write headlines. There is a reason for headlines, and I'll touch on that later. Uh, downplay your adjectives. Please don't say huge, wonderful, best, greatest. Don't do it, it'll come right out. I was an editor, I took them all out. <laughs> do not exaggerate it, exaggerate or tinker with the truth. Do not demand or expect. We are asking for something free. And I had one director of a chorus I sang with said, and he's right, we are but beggars at the table. And uh, do not waste professionals' time without being prepared. Never wait till the last minute. Three, me three weeks in advance is the minimum. If you have waited too long, they can't be expected to bail you out. And here's a good, uh, you can find all of this, how to write a media alert, how to write a press release. You can find it all in, on, uh, on websites, dozens of them. So Google has six rules of media etiquette, and it's a good idea to take a look at that. So here's a sample schedule for print, and don't forget that every print organization has online content. Your basic facts, when, where, what, where, et cetera, should be available to you as a media person six weeks out. And people at my meeting <laughs> know this, that I say, it's four weeks. Do we have time? Develop that special list of media contacts. contacts. Uh, and I said that before, reporters you know, their emails, their titles, who they have to answer to, and uh, the beginning would be a media alert about five weeks out. So you have your information in hand six weeks out. It's tough 
to pass a media alert around to a committee of Quakers. So sometimes I push for an extra week. It's like herding cats, you know that. Okay. I'm not pointing at my machine. After the media uh, alert, sub subsequent time releases that will then go, the, the media alert, by the way, goes to a small list of editors that you know that cover your area and, and that you have dealt with or have come to know exactly what editor that is that you send this to. This is not a press release, it's the, the media alert. It goes to editors who assign reporters. So then subsequent releases will go out to everybody on your email list. And this email now, no more print, no more type stuff. So the first press releases are four weeks out. The second press release changed with, with a new lead, goes two weeks out. And then if you're desperate, you can send a final brief media alert to land on somebody's email and say, oh yeah, I meant to cover that, if you're lucky. So this is an actual media alert that I wrote for my chorus. It's in two columns just to make it soft. But it, as you can see, it's not a press release. It's something to grab an editor. And now, what does he or she need to know? The theme, the places, the time, what's new, um, the course home, coverage assistance. We appreciate your consideration, etc. And uh, there's names for people to contact. And then in a separate, uh, separate file, <coughs> you can add your JPEGs that you need. Now here's a press release, it's an actual one, but I put subheads in there. Um, we have media relations press people up there at the top and the website. You need a, a good headline, you need a subhead that gives a little more information, you need a good lead uh, to grab information. I've actually sent these out. Then you have the body of the release and make sure it's in good English good quotes, and so forth. And then in the end, we, you have what we call the boilerplate, uh, and that was about your, about your organization, your meeting. Why are your headlines important? If the newspaper wants to attract readership to your story, it has to have a good headline. Ask yourself, would this convince editors? Now you were in the business of convincing the editor to read the release. Use subject verb, action verb, uh, passive in a pinch. Otherwise, you are writing a title. Don't use articles, a, and, the, these. Skip those. Use the present tense verbs for past events and future tense for coming events. So there's a one-line hit. There's a one-line head with subhead. There's a two-line head. There's a three-line head. Now, in both those places, there are prepositions. In the second line, it's okay. Otherwise, it's not. And here's a blurb. 
that you send not only to the newspapers, it goes by email, but they have, most of them have a special place for their own calendars. Uh, Inky does it, they all do it. Uh, Courier Post, local papers, and I'll get to that in a minute. Um, but I think there's 95 words there, it could even be shorter. Uh, I wasn't going to add this because it's, it's kind of a heavy load. But um, when I was doing media relations at George School, we had three major crises. Um, one of them was the death of a student from unforeseen meningitis. The other was the death of the headmaster's son on the, on the basketball court. And the big one was the murder of Bill Cosby's son in California. Uh, Ennis Cosby uh, lived with the headmaster and the son that later died when he was a student there. Uh, and the biggest thing I can say to you is be prepared before anything happens. And uh, I remember I was at a conference and one of the uh, media persons was talking to others and said, my secretary just called me and said blah, blah, blah was going on. And I said to her, go to the contingency file. And I went, I don't have one. So when I got back to George School, I created a contingency file. Fire, theft, we were picketed by unions. So who does that? You decide in advance who that group is usually the headmaster, the assistant, media relations director, advancement office, whatever, you have a team, not everybody. You also inform the secretaries or whoever is answering the phone, they do not have to respond to press. They should not respond to press. We are prepared to take that. And I had a meeting with secretaries at George Gold and they went shh, because nobody had ever told them they didn't have to deal with press. And we had a lot of mistakes. So begin by not having a crisis. Um, the, the concern must be for those deeply affected, the family, the students, meeting members, parents. The communication among staff members is absolutely essential, so nobody goes off story. Uh, advanced preparation is the answer. In a PR crisis, you are entitled to certain, you are entitled to handle it in your own way and not be pushed by press uh, pressure. So you, you learn to cooperate within the bounds of respect and decency and truth and it will add to your goodwill in the paper. But the alternative is pulling up a drawbridge and trying to hide, and that is the worst thing to do. You may not be able to predict events, but you can predict your response. Now here is a sample media list, and I've actually used this same media list. Uh, you see on the, mm, do I have a pointer? Oh no. <laughs> on the right is kind of special ones for me 
and on the left is a more general one. But I tell you, I have just called this, and if I were to show you how many were left out of my taking out of it, maybe this many, and even fewer over there. It's because newspapers are not doing well. They're, con they're contracting their, their staff. So be careful. And how do you find the media list? Do you think the Pine Barrens Tribune is the only thing you can deal with? No. Go to the New Jersey, New Jersey or if there's another state, the, the State Press Association has this right on there, on their website. Now you can see all these groups of newspapers and that's still missing two counties in South Jersey. Take advantage of that. And sometimes it'll come bouncing right back, oh well. And then there are lots of places to put your calendar. Libraries will do that. Uh, Metro Township, if you have a public event, Metro Township will put it on their website. Now I have Burlington County Times online, kind of forget that. Um, and there's a place called American Towns, it's a website, and you need to create a password and you can put your stuff on that town. So now, drum roll sound. Thank you. We have two examples, two examples of extraordinary, effective Quaker outreach. So, these people started it all, shouting from the housetops, preaching in the marketplace, shouting into uh, church windows, gathering people in the hills. They didn't keep quiet. And so uh, let's have Sydney have the last word. So if you're going to try to change your meeting's approach to outreach, remember this. <laughs> favorite barnacle. So thank you so much. <laughs> I'm pretty new to Quakers, I, I think. Um, or I should say I'm more new than a lot of people that I've met. So forgive me if I do not completely understand the dynamics of what Quakers have already been doing. I'm just going to work with what I know. So what I do know is that most of us are pretty familiar with social media if even if we're not on it or active on it is everybody in here familiar with facebook because i don't want to assume anything okay have you all heard of twitter besides today okay <laughs> okay excellent so as sarah had stated those two are pretty popular social media platforms and I call them social media platforms because really what they do is they hold social networks in one particular place, just like this particular place is holding all of us and we're all a part of a network. We're a network ourselves. So basically, when we think about outreach with social media or digital media for that instance, you don't have to think about it as this really complicated thing. You could think of it as simply one person that's a stone throwing out your message and letting it ripple. So <clears throat> I'm like looking back here for something, but like I don't really do presentation things. I'd rather be more. <laughs> so 
when I think about outreach with social media, I think about starting with the things that we already know and the things that we're comfortable with. When I first started with social media, everybody was saying, you have to be here and you have to be there and you have to be everywhere. But if you have limited resources, you're going to overwhelm yourself and you're also going to overwhelm all the volunteers who are willing to participate and share the messages, you know, broadcasting them with people, not just with your meeting, but on these platforms such as Facebook and Twitter. So you start with what you know and what you're comfortable with. If your meeting house only has a website and Facebook, then you rock that Facebook as if it was the greatest thing in the world because what you wanna do is take the thing that you're already passionate about doing and just exemplify it. And when you do a really good job at the platform that you're comfortable with, then easing into the other platforms is much, it's much more simple and it's much more simplified and it's not as complicated as we try to make it out to be. So let me give you an example. If right now we have this event and one of the things that you probably have noticed is that people put posts up on their Facebook walls. Awesome, great. If you also use sponsored posts by boosting the posts even better now you have more reach but on facebook there's multiple things that you can do as sarah had explained earlier you can use hashtags on facebook as well the thing is facebook hashtag search is not as popular as if you use hashtags on something like twitter what facebook is better for is creating events because each page and I should say that each page on Facebook, you can create an event. So if you have a post on your Facebook page and also create an event on your Facebook page, know that when you create an event, it also creates a post. So that's a two for one deal. And then you can share said event individually. So we're going back to that whole every person has access to a network. So one of the things that you want to do with your post on Facebook, since people are not using hashtags as much, is literally write the word share. Share this on an event, on your post. Share this with your network. Because every person who's coming into a Facebook event obviously has connections to other people. So when you have your post, literally write the word and share with your friends. Something very simple not complicated, doesn't take an extra step, it spreads. And constantly say that, hey, we're having this amazing event. We're gonna have horseback riding and lakes and fairies and sugar plums, even if that's not really what you're having. But <laughs> if you are having that, by all means, share that and say, share this with your friends, share this with your network. So, and what I have noticed about Facebook, especially if you're trying to bring in a younger crowd, is that even if you might not be in particular about using something like Instagram, which is primarily pictures, or Snapchat, which is primarily pictures as well, Facebook pretty much gives priority to visual images as well. And the reason why is because Facebook owns Instagram. 
So, and a lot of people have their Facebook pages connected to their Instagrams and vice versa. If you didn't know that you could do that, you can. Um, as a matter of fact, not only can you connect your Facebook to your Instagram or your Instagram to your Facebook, you can also connect Twitter to your Facebook page as well. So most people, and I believe that handout will say connect your Twitter to your Facebook account so that your tweets will go on Facebook. Disregard that. The reason why is because Twitter is more real time and most of the time people chat on Twitter as if they're talking to somebody in real life. So if you are connecting your Twitter account to your Facebook page and you're having a conversation with somebody on Twitter, all those posts are going into Facebook and that's kind of annoying because Facebook is not that type of platform for that. Which, which let me backtrack and talk about the, the dynamics of the platforms. So with Facebook, for example, I don't look at Facebook because Facebook itself has so many different components to it. I don't look at Facebook specifically as this is a chat. I'm going to talk about everyday things and have an engaging conversation with somebody for 15 minutes on Facebook. Not when Facebook has Facebook chat. I'm not going to post about an event over and over again on a status update because Facebook pages has events. So understand the dynamics of a page, uh, of, of a platform. Facebook, all of itself is its own little empire. You can do a lot of different things with Facebook. Whereas Twitter, on the other hand, Twitter is something that most people, especially the younger generation, now, instead of I didn't, I'll, I'll say it honestly, I've never even heard of, you know, um, these associations. I'm not looking for associations. I'm looking for where's my news and where is it right now. So when I look for news, I actually go to Twitter. Whenever I hear about events or things of that nature, I look on Twitter, my, mainly because it's live and it's constantly going. And if it's popular enough, a lot of people are talking about it. So going back to what I was saying, I would not connect Twitter to Facebook. On the other hand, I would connect Facebook to Twitter, especially if you're not active on Twitter and you want a Twitter presence, it's easier to connect your Facebook page and have that go to your Twitter account. That way it links back to your Facebook page. So that way, Instead of going, oh, I really don't want to be on Twitter, but like I should have some kind of presence on Twitter. When you have something that's posted on Facebook, it'll go to your Twitter account. That way it's not empty and you do have two platforms that you're being active on. Um, so that's what I mean by like really rock out something that you want to be on and then let the other things kind of flow from there. I, I personally, I don't really like Instagram. I'm probably one of few younger people who could care less about those picture platforms. Um, as a matter of fact, I'm completely opposite because I actually prefer LinkedIn, <laughs> which nobody really mentioned but because LinkedIn is more of a professional platform. But let me tell you why I like LinkedIn. LinkedIn has money <laughs> because people are money-minded on LinkedIn. People are, or business handshakey on LinkedIn. So if, I happen to want to reach out to somebody who's in the media that I cannot get access to via email. Guess where they might be? 
on LinkedIn. And guess what? Because in order to create a LinkedIn account, you have to have an email. So when people send requests, guess where it goes? Into their inbox, backdoor access. So I have been able to get in touch with a lot of media people via LinkedIn because they're not really expecting anybody to personally come and connect with them. So just a sidebar tip. But I've also been able to get in touch with people via Twitter. And how I've been able to do that is because as Carol was sharing, you have your list of contacts and you email them. I personally don't think print media is dead. I believe in what um, the author, well, he's more than an author, but his name is typically, we call him Gary V. He wrote a book and I might mess up that, the name of the book, but it was Jab, Jab, Hook. Basically, you take a lot of jabs, which is the way I see it is touching people who you want to reach in a lot of different little ways. So you do do a press release and you do send an email, but you also follow them on Twitter and retweet them, follow their hashtags, look at who they are following because you might be able to get access to them through other people that play in the middle ground. And everybody that they're following is somebody that you can follow. People who are following them are people who may be your audience. So just look at it that way. Look at it as in for every person, they're connected to another person. And it doesn't have to feel so very overwhelming. Let me see. So sometimes... Can, can, mm -hmm. Would it bother you if I jump in and say some, a little bit? Because I think that's a really important point that you're making with mm -hmm. that. Sure. That I want to amplify on it. Because mm -hmm. so one way in which Facebook and Twitter are different is this. With So let me back up a little bit more. So Facebook has two kinds of accounts. You can have an individual account. Sarah Greenblatt has an account. Mm -hmm. Or there could be a page for a meeting, like some kind of institutional presence. It could be a school. It could be a, a business. So that's a page. And they, they operate a little bit differently, but it's good to know that there's a difference between those things. And it's a page can create an event. I don't think an individual person Actually, you can, can create okay. both. Okay. Yeah. All right, but, but there are some differences in the way they operate, and it's just good to be aware that they are, they're, they're both on Facebook, and they are, but this is one thing that's true about both pages and um, individual profiles, that somebody, somebody has to kind of know about you. So in other words, you would have to ask to be my friend, or I would have to ask to be your friend in order for you to be able to see what's on my Facebook, my personal Facebook page, right? Now with, let's say our meeting has a Facebook page. As long as you're on Facebook, you don't have to be invited to follow it, but you would have to choose to follow Haddonfield Monthly Meeting. You'd have to like Haddonfield Monthly Meeting, and then the items that are posted on that page would, would show up in your individual news feed. But where Twitter is really, and this is the point that Lynette was making that I really want to underscore. With Twitter, you don't have to have any 
who someone is. So for instance, let's say there's a reporter at the Philadelphia Inquirer, and many reporters are on Twitter. Mm -hmm. You can follow them, and they can't stop you. <laughs> you know, they don't have to know who you are. They don't have to approve you as a follower. You can just follow them. It's the same thing it would be true with a congressman, a governor, any, anybody who's on Twitter, you're free to follow them. And you don't have to get their permission to do it. And then you can also see who they're following. So it, in a way, it's a much more democratic um, platform than Facebook, where you kind of have to know somebody in order to get. So I'm sorry to interrupt, but I just felt like that was a really, really, and, and it is a great way to get through to journalists. It is a good backdoor. I have to use LinkedIn that way, but I yeah, <laughs> yeah. Twitter's good that way as well. Yeah. yeah, they're both really good for that, and I have used both personally that way. And thank you, because if, if there's anything like it's like, oh, I want to hear more about that, I should have said that from the beginning. Please speak up. <laughs> so um, let me see, because um, I'm just trying to give you an overview of different platforms. I'll touch on Instagram a little bit, and I'll give you an example of something that actually is happening recently. So as as Linda shared, what I do professionally is that I run a virtual administrative business. Before that, I was actually a website designer um, and a social media marketing consultant. And I typically have worked with companies um, such as authors, speakers, and not um, you know typical kind, but keynote speakers um, to do their platforms. It's been easy for me to do that because they already had a following. So, and basically with them is that they didn't have time to do their own stuff anymore, so they hired me to do it. Go figure, I can make a career out of playing on Facebook all day. So, <laughs> so what we had recently was that one of my um, clients has an event coming up and she just began doing these workshops. She is a holistic nutritionist. Um, <clears throat> and actually was pretty is was featured in a pretty famous documentary what the hell if you haven't heard of it so we decided that we need to get people to come to our cooking class and we noticed and this is what another thing that you want to try to do is be aware of the trends on social media you don't have to follow them if they're not your taste but if you do see something that's like oh I like that maybe we could do it for a meeting so that's kind of what we did so we noticed that a lot of people were creating memes, which are basically like pictures with words on them. Um, and you could do that with any kind of graphic thing. Like for instance, and I'll give you a tool, um, if you don't use, a, a, what is that a picture program? I can't think of it. But basically you could take your pictures and you can edit them and put words on them. If you don't have that, oh, Photoshop. Photoshop, thank Photoshop. you. If you don't have like something like Photoshop, then you can go and use a site called Canva. Um, which is canva.com and you can create your own graphics and images and pictures and, and memes. So what we did was notice that people were doing memes of two pictures, me beforehand, me afterhand. So we go, hmm, that's trending right now. I wonder if we could use that and get people to come to your cooking class. So what we did was we found a picture of hard as a rock oatmeal that just looked absolutely awful. And we put me before my client's name, cooking class, trying to make a vegan breakfast. Then we put a picture next to it so that they'll put the pictures lined up. Me, after, 
after taking client's name cooking class and we had this grand spread and everything and it was just like this great picture and guess what it got retweeted over and over because people related to it they're going yes that's me trying to cook vegan breakfast I stink all I eat is oatmeal and I want to make that and I want to eat all these wonderful things so we could have easily done something like that with this event me a seeker trying to figure out my place in the world and where to go commune with people and then this awesome grand picture with all these people happy and sitting here at the me after I found a Quaker meeting so you know <laughs> but that's what she, but that's kind of something that's trending right now because if you've been paying attention the world is very spiritually hungry and spiritually thirsty a lot of youth are leaving church I was one of them so you have a market of people seekers looking for something what can you do to engage them that's really the question I want to leave you with before I close out because I don't have that many time we have all these seekers now who are thirsty they left their churches because they were not being fed how can you reach them what do you have that they're lacking one they don't have structure anymore and me personally I left because it was so loud over where I was nobody heard me I had no voice and there was so much hierarchy that I didn't matter so I have a whole bunch of youth coming out of these places feeling like their voice doesn't matter nobody's listening to them they have some contributions but nobody gave them a seat at the table to contribute what can you add to that what can you offer Thank you. Thank you for listening to Clearly Quaker. We hope you have found this podcast thought-provoking. If you have questions or comments or would like to learn more about South Jersey Quakers, reach us at salemquarter.org.